Um, so here we are. We're uh, the parable of the sower, as you know, is uh, important for a few reasons. Let's have a little quiz since we've been here on this for so long. What's one of the reasons why the parable of the sower is so important? Go ahead. Somebody say it. Bob? You have to understand it to what? That, that by though not stated, by implication, that is basically what the parable is about. It's about who's in the kingdom of God and who's not. I mean, isn't that the most important? I mean, Jesus used it to describe like who's in the kingdom and who's not. And then I sort of already stated the other important reason why is because Jesus said this was the parable that you need to understand if you're going to understand all the parables. The parables of Jesus are, for the most part, all entirely about the kingdom, the kingdom of God, the kingdom of God, which we have not yet realized in the form that the Bible describes it in. If you've come to faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, you are a subject in the kingdom of God now. Praise the Lord. But, but there still is a future revelation of this kingdom that we have not seen yet. That's coming. And listen, it's coming to earth. Right? The kingdom of God is going to... I mean, the king came the first time. The king is coming again. And when the king comes again, he's going to establish his kingdom here. For a season. And the Bible is pretty explicit in the description of some of the facets of his kingdom and that age here on earth, which is coming. And listen, you, you, you need to understand like who's going to be in that kingdom and who's not. Now, in the parable of the sower, the way that who's in the kingdom is delineated from who's not in the kingdom is what? <laughs> Fruit. That is correct. And if you're visiting today, I'm only starting my sermon like this because we've studied this parable for three weeks now. This is our fourth week, as, you, as I've said already. And so I'm kind of starting it like this because that is how the parable of the sower separates people by their fruitfulness. That is to say... When someone truly believes the gospel, their lives will go on to produce fruit that is consistent with someone who is a subject in the kingdom of God. Good fruit. Different amounts. Some believers will be more fruitful than others. But all true believers will be fruitful. And so there were two really important things that we needed to learn. Number one, how is fruit produced? And we spent a lot of time talking about Jesus' seminal teaching on that subject. The way that fruit is produced is by having a close, consistent, personal walk of faith with the Lord Jesus Christ. You believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. You're saved from your sins. You receive His Holy Spirit. You are saved. You are born again. And you begin to walk day by day. And as you walk closely with Him, your life will, as the result of that relationship, produce fruit. That's the point of Jesus saying, I'm the vine, you're the branches. My Father's the vine dresser, I'm the true vine, and you're the branches. Right? And the branches that don't bear fruit, they're broken off and thrown in the fire. The branches that do bear fruit are pruned by the vine dresser that they may bear more fruit and it's continually done that they would go on and produce much fruit over the life of a believer in this world. So, and then after we talked about where the fruit comes from, and let me just point this out here, because it's important to restate this. If you examine your life and you see that you're a believer, I've had four weeks to think about this. And so this week I was thinking, boy, what else can I say about this? This, this occurred to me. You know, you read through the parable with me many times and you saw the seed that fell by the wayside, the seed that fell on the stony ground, the seed that fell among the thorns, and it never produced any fruit. And so that was clearly describing people who are not in the kingdom of God. 
and the seed that fell on good ground produced fruit. That described people who are in the kingdom of God. What if you look at your life and you examine yourself and you see that there's a lack of fruitfulness in your life? Does it automatically mean you're not really a believer? You're not really a true believer? I don't think so. I don't think that's the point because I do believe, and I believe the New Testament has a passage or two that makes this clear. I do believe that a true believer can be fruitful, but then experience a season where maybe they get distracted or they're overtaken with something or they're overwhelmed with something. There are trials and there are burdens and sometimes our own weaknesses and our own sins get in the way of us having that closely abiding in the vine kind of relationship with the Lord where our lives go on to produce fruit. So the point is this. If you as a believer in Jesus Christ examine your life and you find like fruitfulness to be lacking, don't automatically jump to the point like, oh, maybe I'm not really a believer. No, listen, here's what needs... And also don't jump to the point of, oh, I really need to just get busy and start doing things. If you're a believer on the Lord Jesus Christ and you do some self-examining and you find yourself maybe to be wanting in the area of fruitfulness, the place you need to go is back to the vine. Back to Jesus. If I'm telling you this, telling you this with 100% confidence, fail safe. If you walk closely and consistently with Jesus Christ, your life will produce fruit and you will have confidence in that. You will have, your life will be fruitful to whatever degree it is that the Lord has like raised you up and called you to be that and, and desires for you to be that. And you will have joy and confidence in it. Right? We all battle and struggle. We're all overtaken at times with trespasses, sins, temptations, things that are common to man, things that are difficult in our lives. Right? But if you will press in and walk closely, humbly, with the Lord Jesus. You are consistently and faithfully in prayer. You are meditating on His Word on a regular basis, a daily basis. You are inserted in and active in the fellowship of believers, which is your church and perhaps even beyond that church. Your life will be fruitful. I've said that already. This part, though, maybe I didn't. You will have confidence in that. You will have joy in that. It will help your faith. Obviously. I mean, that's almost like self-evident. If I walk closely with the Lord, my faith will be strong. Right? It will. Right? So, so if you find your fruitfulness to be wanting, the thing to do is to get back close with the Lord. I do believe it's possible for a believer, a true believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, to suffer through a season or a portion of their life where, where, where fruitfulness may not seem like it was at some other point, or, or you find it wanting, or you find it lacking. Listen, go back to the vine. Go back to the Lord Jesus. He, listen, you're here, right? Everybody raise your hand if you're here. Yeah, good, good, good. Some of, you, some of you didn't raise your hand. I just trust you didn't understand the question, but trust me, you're here. So, so, so if you're here, what that means is the Lord has left you here. God, who is sovereign and knows the beginning of your days and the end of your days, has you here. When he's done with you, he'll take you to be with him if you're a believer. But you're here, and if you find yourself struggling with like bearing fruit in your life, it's not all over for you. You're not just done, or my best days are behind me. Nonsense! That's satanic. That's not biblical. What's biblical is press in close to the Lord. God is faithful. You heard Angie sing the hymn that we know so well. He doesn't change. He's faithful. And he offers pardon for sin, enduring peace, his own dear presence to cheer and to God. Press in and find that. You can. He will receive you if you press in in humility. Look, you know, it's not... And this is what we do in our humanness. We look at our lives and we say... We look at our lives... And we say, I'm never going to get this right. We look at our lives and we say, we beat ourselves up and we say, 
you know, I'm, 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 I'm not a good Christian. I, I can't do this. I'm never going to do that. My debt, my best days are behind me. I'm just tired of it. I don't want to be in it. We look at it and, we, and, and that's, that's carnal thinking. Don't do that to yourself. You know, listen, Jesus redeemed you because he loves you Amen. and he's for you and he wants you, you know, if you're his child to be fruitful. But remember what he taught. Without me, you can do nothing. The thing, the thing that we need is to press in close to him and you can. I don't care what the last week, the last month, the last 15 years of your life have been. You've battled, you've struggled. Of course you have. We all have. We all do every day. Listen, come to the vine. Press into the vine. Get fastened to the vine. And stay there. Abide in him. If you abide in him, you will bear much fruit. All that's a restatement of stuff that we said. Now... Here we come to Romans. We, we started talking about the different kinds of fruit. We talked about the fruit of the... We talked about fruit worthy of repentance a little bit. But chiefly what we talked about was the fruit of the Spirit. That was in Galatians chapter 5. We talked about the fruit of righteous conduct and the fact that uh, the Lord disciplines His children. Hebrews 12 talked about this. The Lord disciplines His own children because He wants to bring about the peaceable fruit of of righteousness. So righteous conduct is a fruit of a close walk with the Lord. You might even say the discipline that he brings, the chastening that he brings into our lives is itself a fruit of a relationship with the Lord. Because the writer of Hebrews said that if your life lacks this discipline, then you're not really even his child. But that's what a loving father does, right? The writer of Hebrews said, we have all had earthly fathers who have disciplined us, right? And, you know, and, and, and even if the situation that's speaking in a general situation, we have situations where someone maybe early in their life was separated from their father or whatever. That's not to disregard that. But, but generally speaking, we've had, we've had parental figures in our lives, let's say, who have disciplined us. How much more a perfect, loving and holy and righteous heavenly father who adopts us into his family when we believe how much more will he lovingly discipline his children to bring about fruit the peaceable fruit of righteousness so we discussed chiefly those two things the fruit of the spirit and the fruit of righteous conduct and now i have numbers three and four for you today and then we're done so let's pray briefly and then i'm going to read a few verses from romans here and we'll dive into this let's pray Our Father in heaven, thank you, Lord God, for this great parable. Thank you, Lord God, for Lord Jesus, for teaching your disciples about the importance of fruitfulness and how it defines like who we are before you. We know we're saved by your grace through faith, not of ourselves. It's your gift. It's not of our works. But the person who truly believes and abides in the vine will go on to bear fruit. And I pray, Lord God, we'd understand the importance of abiding in you, that our lives might bear fruit. You bringing fruit from us. And, and then we, we bring that fruit to you. And I pray, Lord God, you'd help us to understand more of this today. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, in Romans chapter 7, verse 4, just a few verses here. Therefore, my brethren... You also have become dead to the law through the body of Christ, that you may be married to another, to him who was raised from the dead, that we should bear fruit to God. For when we were in the flesh, the sinful passions which were aroused by the law were at work in our members to bear fruit to death. But now we have been delivered from the law having died to what we were held by, so that we should serve in the newness of the Spirit and not in the oldness of the letter. And it's important to read that entire paragraph like that because early in the paragraph, you can see that the Apostle Paul is the writer of this this epistle. He describes the fact that we should bear fruit to God or or we we should be, the idea is we should be living in the sight of God and bringing fruit into his presence. You know, it's like the farmer goes out into the crops and gathers the fruit and brings it in. He bears it in into the barn or wherever he's bringing it. That's the idea of our lives. But 
then when you read through the passage and read the paragraph to the end, he describes what he means by that fruit. He talks about, first of all, there's an interesting phrase here, fruit to death. Right? That was, that was the fruit of our old lives. And that's consistent with what Jesus taught. Because he said bad trees produce bad fruit. Right? And when we were simply subject to the law and dead to our sins, right? the law of God is perfect and good and righteous and holy. But its purpose chiefly is what? To show us our sin. What the, what the law, as you know, teaches us. We have laws that say you shall not murder. And the Bible says if you even hate someone, you're guilty of murder in your heart. Well, what one of us can say we've gone through our lives without ever hating anybody. Or it says, there's a law that says you shall not lie. You know, when you think about that law, what does that do? It, it shines like this really bright light on the fact that, man, I've told lies in my life. And so I'm a liar, right? And so what the law does in sort of an indirect kind of way is it causes us to bear fruit that leads to death because we see the holy and perfect commands of God and we see our own lives and what our own lives do is very often in violation of these holy laws of God and the penalty for transgression is ultimately death. And so when we were in the flesh, verse 5 says, uh, uh, the sinful passions which were aroused by the law were at work in our members to bear fruit to death. But now... The but now is a reference to the fact that all things are different now. Now, we're not under the law. We're not living in that old covenant system in the old covenant time. Now, we have received what ultimately the law and the prophets were all about, looking ahead to the time when God would bring redemption to people through the sacrifice that Christ made when he died on the cross for us and rose from the dead. So, having faith in him, now we've been delivered from that law. We're set free. That ought to encourage you. You are set free from the law. The law that says you shall not lie has, no matter how many lies you've told in your life, that law has no more power over you. Because when Christ died on the cross, He bore the penalty for your lies. It is not, of course, a license or an encouragement to go out and tell lies. You know that, right? But, but the joy of it, the release of it, is that all of those sins, whatever they were back in the old you know, life before I knew it, and even when I battle and struggle now, you know, all of those things that can even commonly overtake me now, those are things that Jesus bore the penalty for so that I'm not under that. I'm delivered from that now, having died to what we were held by. I'm dead to the law, and I'm alive to an entirely new way of living. I'm walking now in the Spirit. I'm walking by faith and not by sight. I'm walking by the Spirit and not by the, the tablets or the letters of the laws and the commands. I'm walking by His Spirit in me. That's why I need to abide in the vine. Because when I'm full of His Spirit, He leads me in supernaturally. Leads me in what is right and good and what, and what pleases Him. So I, I'm dead to what I was held by. So that we should serve in newness of the Spirit and not in the oldness of the letter. Isn't that beautiful? What is the fruit that verse 5 talks about? We, were, we should bear fruit to God. The fruit is what he describes at the end of verse 6. That we should what? Serve. Yes, in the Spirit now, right? It's that service that we do to the Lord that is the fruit of our new relationship with Him. So, whereas last week we talked about the fruit of the Spirit being those characteristics of the Christian's life, love, joy, peace, and those things, we talked about the fruit of righteous conduct that comes from the chastening that the Lord brings into our life. Here, we're talking about the fruit of our relationship with God being the service, the serving of Him that we do. And we should all be serving the Lord, right? Because He, by His Spirit, has given to His children, what? Gifts that are to be used for serving the Lord. And it's just, it's just a little bit of text after this that Paul brings that up. And I'm sure you're familiar with it. But turn just a few pages ahead in your Bible, probably. Turn to Romans chapter 12. Turn to Romans chapter 12.
The verses 1 and 2, of course, are just, well, I can't resist the urge to just read them. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God. And you know this, we've been over this. This is the, this is the portion of the book of Romans that now becomes practical. In case you've never heard me say that before, chapters 1 through 11 in Romans are the part of the book that is the, the, the great def, uh, defense of the doctrine of salvation through faith. God's grace through faith is how we're saved, not by the law or any other method. Then in Romans chapter 12 is, I beseech you, therefore, how you ought to live. That, but brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service, and do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. So in body and in mind, we're called to render it all as a sacrifice unto the Lord, that you may be able to prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. When I offer myself holy, separated from the world, holy unto the Lord, I don't let my mind get all just caught up in the mores and the values and the thought processes of this lost world, but I let the Word of God shape my mind, then I am able to prove, that is to demonstratively, confidently show and understand what God's will is for my life. Then verse 3, For I say, through the grace given to me, to everyone who is among you, note the word everyone, he's speaking to a church, And he speaks to this church and he includes in this everyone in the church. Remember that. Everyone who is among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think soberly as God has dealt to what? Each one. So twice in one sentence there, you have everyone and you have each one. So to every and each, what? Don't think of yourself proudly, but think soberly, because to each one of you, God has given a measure of faith. And the idea of a measure of faith is not so much that, like, uh, God has allowed you to believe more than this one. I don't think that's the point. I think, I think your faith is nurtured by, I mean, God has granted to everybody faith that has faith. It's been given by God, and you have faith to believe. And then how much you grow in that faith That has a whole lot to do with how much time you spend in the Word, how much time you spend in prayer. Don't ever think that there's some limit to how faithful you can be. You know, your spiritual growth is very much connected to your spiritual diligence, right? And your desire for His Word and your desire to pray without ceasing, etc. But what he means is the measure of faith. He means he's portioning out to each one, to everyone, the Lord portions out something because of the presence of His Spirit in you, because of your faith in you. Some portion, some measure of something. God, I'm I'm giving something to Him. I'm giving something to her. I'm giving something to her. I'm giving something to Him. And I'm doing that for everyone and each one among you. Why? For as we have many members in one body, but all the members do not have the same function... So we, being many, are one body in Christ and individually members of one another, right? So a little definition like of a body there, right? Uh, As we have many members in one body, but all the members don't have the same function. Think of a physical body, and we've been over this many times. It's a very common illustration. It's not only here in the Bible, but your physical body has different members. That is, different parts of your body. And each one of those parts of your body has some unique function, But the rest of your body needs that function for your body to function 100%, right? And so, uh, uh, and the church then is like that. God gives a measure here, a measure here, a measure here, a measure here. Grace for this, grace for that, grace for this, grace for that. Because there are different people in a body. And he's speaking to a local church here. He's speaking to the church at Rome, which was young and which was new. Right? So it's not like it was this big, like, universal, worldwide thing yet. It was still very new, very young. It was a fellowship where people probably knew each other. And, and you know, it was, a, it was a small local body, a lo- small local assembly of believers. And he's saying to everyone among you, God gave this to this one, this to this one, this to this one, this to this one, in accordance with their faith by his grace, so that they could serve him. Right? Uh, it says, so we, being many, are one body in Christ and individually members of one another. I'm part of you. You're part of each other. 
You're part of me. We're all part of each other because we're a body and God measures out those things so the body can do everything that it needs to do. Right? It's a beautiful illustration. Having then gifts differing according to the grace that is given to us, let us use them. Right? God gives out a measure here, a measure there, a measure here, a measure here, and expects that his children will use them. What is that? Yes. Very good. Fruitfulness. That's exactly what that is. That's what he was talking about back in chapter 7. You know, which we read before. To him who raised him from the dead, that we should bear fruit to God. And what is that fruit? That we serve him in the newness of the spirit and not in the oldness of letter. Here is that fruitfulness. So you can see that uh, in addition to the fruit of the spirit and the fruit of righteous conduct, there is the fruit of service to God. And look at these things. I mean, let's read. I mean, there's the concept. But now look at the things that are here specifically. If prophecy, let us prophesy in proportion to our faith. In other words, let us prophesy in proportion to our faith means utilizing that which God has measured out to me by His Spirit in me. Like, you know, God's Spirit is in me and God has given me a gift to preach and to teach and I need to then use that gift which He's given me. Notice, I have no call to go beyond that. I have no call or no expectation from the Lord to incorporate like earthly things or secular things or carnal things, right? What the Lord is, I gave you an ability to preach and to teach. You stand there and you preach and you teach. That's your part in the body. And to each one, to everyone, some part in the body has been given, right? To prophesy. Let us prophesy in proportion of faith. Or ministry. Ministry is just a very general word that describes serving. Maybe your gift is to just be a servant. And here the idea is serving others. And specifically serving others in the body. And man, I'm telling you, there's such a need for that sort of thing. And that can take so many different forms. Because there are always needs among a body of believers this big. And we're not a giant church. But, but we're a big enough body of believers where there's always something going on where there's need. And maybe your gift is simply to minister. Someone has this particular type of material need, a financial need, a need with some sort of like, like manual assistance, a need for like a ride, a need, you know, whatever. But, but God has given you by his spirit the gift to just be a servant of others. That's what he's talking about. That should be used. That's fruit. Get it? Jesus says that some of the seed fell on good soil and it produced a crop. Some 30-fold, some 60-fold, some 100. Some will be more fruitful than others. But this is fruit. Is this service to God that is the result of our abiding in the vine. Our, as, as it's a result of His Spirit in us. Us using the gift, the portion that He has measured out to us. And that's how a body functions and stays healthy when everybody recognizes their gift. Well, how do I know that? Good question. Back up in chapter 12 to the verses that I read first. What does the end of verse 2 say? It talks about proving what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. So where does it start for you? As you're abiding in the vine, you offer your body holy. Right? You don't use your body for sexual immorality. You don't use your body for, for things that are unholy and unrighteous before the Lord. And your mind. You don't allow your mind to become corrupted by a lot of the, frankly, evil things that get said and done and propagated and put forth through various forms of media or whatever, bad relationships, whatever. You don't allow your mind to become corrupted. You allow your body to be set apart for the use of holy uses for the Lord, and you allow your mind to be shaped and molded and steered and guided by the Holy Word of God and and the Holy Spirit in you. That's how you come to the point where you learn and realize here is what measure has been measured out to me. Here is what the Lord by His Spirit has measured out to me. And then you walking in those things, that's fruit that your life produces. And, you know, back in that list, talks about the ministry, talks about prophecy, he talks about teaching. He talk, look at this, exhortation. That's, that's like, 
You know, we think of spiritual gifts. I don't know what pops into your mind first. Maybe your mind goes to 1 Corinthians and you think about speaking in tongues and you think about healing. And those, you know, those are things that are described in the Bible, but the way they're described in 1 Corinthians was with like a, a, a rebuking kind of context because they were being abused and they were being manipulated in a way that was like, frankly, distracting people from hearing the word of God, which is why the Apostle Paul said in that letter, I'd rather you spoke five words with understanding than 10,000 with a tongue, right? So, uh, but in this passage of scripture, there is no such rebuke. This passage of scripture that we're looking at is all affirmation. It's all positive. It's all good. You are having described for you here the types of things that we that would be the result of a close personal relationship with the Lord that should emerge in your life. And one of those is exhortation. Uh, what is exhortation? That's the person who can cut through the negativity, who can cut through the can cut through maybe some of the drama and can cut through uh, 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 someone, uh, maybe a person who is like really doubting themselves or a person who is just really discouraged, a person who is really down. The gift of exhortation is the person who has that gift from the Lord to be able to go to a person and just kind of cut through that and be able to speak to them the truth in such a way that will encourage them and lift them up. That's... That's described, now I don't know what we think of when we think of spiritual gifts. Maybe we think of people that can sing songs and play musical instruments and do things that are very public and very visible. But the Lord isn't like that. The Lord looks at the inner man. The Lord looks at what his sheep really need. And frankly, one of the things that his sheep really need is for us, and especially those among us who are gifted to do so, to be able to speak spiritual encouragement to one another. You know what happens. We get time together, and a lot of that time ends up just being sort of purely social. And that itself has great value, right? And that's not to be denigrated. But we have to sometimes watch and guard and be careful that in those times, we're actually making the effort and using that time to speak as the Bible says, to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. And we're admonishing one another that way. This is something that's needed. I love to sit down with certain uh, brethren of mine and just sit and talk. And we get into talking about the things of the Lord. And we're sharpening each other that way. And we're encouraging each other in that way. Listen, for some people, they have specially been given by God, measured out by God, the gift of exhortation. To be able to exhort someone, that is to be able to speak to someone, encourage them and prod them on and, and show them that God is patient and God is faithful and show them that God is long-suffering and God doesn't change and, and show them that, listen, it's not all lost, it's not all hopeless, stay faithful, stay with the Lord. We need those people in, a, in the midst of, that's fruit. We may not think of that as fruit. We think of more spectacular, more visible things maybe. But that's the fruit of service. When someone uses what the Holy Spirit has put in them to be able to reach out and minister within the body. That is fruitfulness, which glorifies the Lord. That is fruit that, according to the parable of the sower, shows that someone truly is a subject in the kingdom of God. That's the kind of fruitfulness that results from abiding in the vine. You following all this? You need to know these things, right? It, it goes on some other things. It talks about teaching, exhortation we just mentioned. talks about giving and giving with liberality. That's a gift, right? To be able to give. Give to the church, give to each other, give to people in need. But that's, that's like a gift that some people are given. That, that when used glorifies the Lord, and it is fruit. Good leadership, diligent leadership, cheerful mercy. You know, think about that. So the, the person who is... And this is a gift that's very much needed, isn't it? In a body of people who are all sinners. Is, is when in the body of Christ, listen, a person can find mercy. I don't mean the mercy of the Lord who is merciful to us. 
But when a person can find mercy among his brothers and sisters, we all do things wrong. Or we all do things that maybe someone else might be do, do differently. We all have battles. We all have struggles. What would be really great, and by the way, would be fruit that would glorify and honor the Lord, which is really the point today, is if as believers in the Lord, there are times where there needs to be rebuke and correction, but always is the right time to find what? Mercy. Because we expect it from God. I mean, Jesus sort of codified this, didn't he, when he talked, taught people to pray and said, uh, you know, he taught them to pray, forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And then when he got done teaching that, he actually explained that particular part of the prayer by saying, if you don't forgive men on earth their trespasses, neither will my Father in, forgive, uh, Father in heaven forgive you your trespasses. And that gets picked up by the Apostle Paul in one of his epistles as well. Mercy. And look at with cheerfulness. A cheerful mercy. The person who is able to minister to the brother or sister who is struggling, not with grinding them down, because they're already down. Trust me, they are. You know, They don't need help with that. What they need help with is maybe the person who, with a cheerful spirit, can say, look, maybe you got some things you need to look at here in your life that you're doing wrong. But I just want you to know that God is for you. And God is there to help you. And I'm here to help you. And you show a person mercy. Listen, showing a person in sin mercy might be the thing that encourages that person to leave sin. Have you ever thought of that? We think of it. We, 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 maybe we're a little afraid that it's the other way around. And if we show mercy to someone who's in sin, we're going to make them feel more bold in their sin. But maybe if we show, if the person shows some cheerful mercy to someone who's either struggling or even in sin, maybe that would be the thing that would encourage or prompt them to leave it. That's needed in the body. What is that? Fruit. That is the fruit of service. It is the fruit of service. We need those fruits. We need those fruits in the body. We need the fruit of exhortation. We need the fruit of cheerful mercy. We need the fruit of liberal giving, generous giving. We need the fruit of prophecy and teaching. And we need the fruit of ministering, just generally serving one another. That fruit is needed because it's good and profitable to men, as the book of Titus says, and it glorifies the Lord. That's what fruit does. It lifts up and exalts God and shows each other and even a keenly, carefully watching world that they truly are Christians. Now, again, you look at your life and you feel like these things are lacking or missing. The solution isn't just to get busy. Well, well let me say this. It might be. For some people, it might be just that we walk, we walk closely with the Lord. And I said this last week, I think, so bear with me repeating it. But, but for some of us, maybe it is just we get a little slothful. That's common struggle for men as well, right? You know, you get, a little, you get a little passive, you get a little lazy, you just expect somebody else will do that. You have your own interests, whatever. You get distracted by the world, whatever. So for some of us, we are maybe walking with the Lord, but we do need to just be a little more diligent, Right? That is possible. But for the most part, if you look and you find the fruitfulness lacking in your life, the thing to do is to go to the vine. Go back to the Lord. Walk closely with the Lord and do it with confidence and do it with faith in your heart. Do it trusting Him. Do it knowing that it is His will, that you walk closely with Him. You know, I I have had seasons in my own life where I've thought to myself, like, I think that like God has just left me. He's He's just forgotten me. You know, and, 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 and I've had seasons in my life where it's just like, you know, I, I just think I'm done. You know, the Lord's just like not really using me anymore. I, I don't really have any effect anymore. I don't really have this anymore. And you know what? The solution to that is, number one, to recognize the satanic lie that that is, because I'm still here, right? And so, and so, and so I mean, if God wanted to physically put me somewhere else, that's fine. But I'm still here in this life, right? And so the Lord could still use me. And number two, He's gracious and he's merciful. And maybe I need to, and maybe in those seasons, what I've needed and come about to is that I need to abide in the vine better. 
closer. Walk more closely with the Lord Jesus. You following this? Don't ever accept defeat. How many of you know that the devil is alive? Well, that's a good question itself. How many of you know that the devil's real and alive? Do you know that? Good. How many of you know that verse in Peter, what it means? That, that he walks around like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. We've talked about that. Listen, one of the ways that, one of the things that he wants to do is he wants to get you to believe that you're done. He wants to get you to believe that it's over for you. He wants to get you to believe that no matter how, listen, listen, listen. I know this is speaking to somebody. He wants to get you to believe that no matter how hard you try and no matter how much you put into it, there is no chance for you to be fruitful, to be useful, to be used by God because I struggle with this and how could God ever use me? Some of us, we think those things sometimes, don't we? That's where some of those spiritual gifts come in, cheerful mercy and all that. But I want you to know that those are lies from the devil. I'm not sweeping sin under the rug. If there's sin in your life, you need to confess it, you need to repent, you need to forsake it. Pray and get some strength. But you know what? You know what? I don't care where you're at. It's not over for you. God has you here. God has you listening to this. You come to Him. You come to Him and you, you purpose in your heart to get into His Word and then you do it. And you purpose in your heart to... Because like getting into His Word and getting into prayer and getting into the fellowship, getting into those things deeply, what are you doing? You're, 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 you're refastening yourself to the vine by applying yourself to those things which Jesus himself ordained as methods by which he tends his own flock. You understand? It's not over. It's not over. You, 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 go, to, you, go, back, you go back to the Lord and you watch. There are people sitting in this room right now that I have this, the blessing of being able to know. Multiple people. And maybe many that I'm not even aware of yet. But there are people that are sitting in this room who had long seasons of their lives where they were drifted maybe apart from their faith in the Lord. And, and maybe during those times they wondered if like, well, that's just it for me. And then, and then God got their attention. They humbled themselves. They got back in close and tight with the Lord. And now they've not only become fruitful in their lives, but they're also able to encourage other people who battle and struggle because they themselves have gone down that road before. And that is how the Lord works in a body, to spread encouragement. Sometimes, sometimes our failures become the platform from which the most powerful words of encouragement are spoken. Because of God's capacity to restore and to heal. And then he takes people, he takes people who were broken down and looked like they were finished and he turns them into a grapevine and he gets wine and jelly and grapes and anything else that a grapevine produces out of them. Right? 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 Return to Him. Return to the shepherd and the overseer of your souls. Return to Him. The last thing I want to mention, I mean, that's sort of the, the bulk of it, is we talked about the fruit of the Spirit, the fruit of righteous conduct, and the fruit of service to God. You can talk about like good works and the place that they have in the life of a believer that fits into this, but you've heard me talk about that a thousand times. So go home and read James. You know, you were just told today to start studying the book of James, right, for next year. So I start in chapter 2, and well, I'll start in chapter, start in the beginning. But when you get to chapter 2 in verse 15 through 24, pay particularly close attention, okay? Right. But then just look, one more little thing, if you'll, if, you'll, if you'll let me show you. This is maybe a minor thing, and it's a little obscure, but... But hey, I had four weeks to think about this passage of Scripture. So, you know, you know what it's like when you watch a movie and then you watch it again and again and again and again and again and you start to notice all these little things. So, so I've been like studying like all these things and, and I, st I start to like notice even these little things, you know. And so just turn to um, 
Well, as long as you're in Romans, go back to chapter 1 of the book of Romans real quick. And in Romans chapter 1 and verse 13... Look at this little statement. This is, this is just kind of one of the verses you might just sort of like gloss over as you're racing to get to all of the heavy doctrine about justification by grace through faith. Now, I do not want you to be unaware, brethren, that I often planned to come to you but was hindered until now, that I might have some fruit among you also, just as among the other Gentiles. Because I'm a debtor to both the Greeks and barbarians, both to wise and unwise, so as much as is in me, I'm ready to preach the gospel to you who are in Rome also. What's, what's the fruit that he's describing there? I, I, I call it the fruit of the Great Commission. The fruit of fulfilling the Great Commission. Right? The Apostle Paul wanted to go to be these Romans because he wanted to bear fruit among them. The fruit being what? I'm going to go and I'm going to preach the gospel. And what is the fruit of the Great Commission? Believers, new believers who get baptized and, and, and become saved and, and, and begin to like walk with the Lord and then they're taught to do what the Lord Jesus taught. And the Apostle Paul wanted to come to this Roman church and bear that kind of fruit. So I would just call it Great Commission Fruit. You know? And I see the same sort of thing if you look at uh, Philippians chapter 1. It'll be the last place we'll turn. Go to Philippians chapter 1. In Philippians chapter 1, in verse 19, I, just for time's sake, I'll just start there. I mean, you could really just start in the beginning of the letter and build the whole thing up. But The Apostle Paul, Philippians is one of the prison epistles, as it's called, because the Apostle Paul wrote it from prison. And he's writing fully understanding that he might die. He expects that through the prayers of his people, God will deliver him from this because he senses that the Lord is not done with him on earth yet. And yet, he doesn't know that for sure because God is sovereign. And if God's will is for him to die in this Roman prison, then he's ready for that too. And so in verse 19, he just expresses his heart on the matter and he says, For I know that this will turn out for my deliverance through your prayer and the supply of the Spirit of Jesus Christ according to my earnest expectation and hope that in nothing I shall be ashamed, but with, bold, with all boldness as always, so now also Christ will be magnified in my body, whether by life or by death. That's a very long and eloquent way to just say, you people are going to pray for me, and it could go one way, it could go the other, but I'm pretty much kind of expecting that the Lord is going to deliver me out of here. Which, by the way, He did. And that's where you get like First and Second Timothy and, and Titus from, is from His post-Roman prison time that you read about at the end of the book of Acts. Famous verse in 21, For to me, to live is Christ, and to die is gain. What's he saying there? You know, for me to live is Christ. In other words, if I go on living in this world, then what am I going to do? I'm going to serve the Christ. I'm going to serve the Messiah. For me to live is Christ. There's something so profound about the simplicity of that. If he leaves me here, the purpose is Christ that I may glorify Christ. And to die is gain. Dying is a promotion. In this letter, he said, we're citizens of heaven and not citizens of earth. And so if he dies from this world, then he was going to go to be in the far better place. So he was ready for both, right? But, verse 22, if I live on in the flesh, this will mean what? Fruit from my labor. Yet what I shall choose, I cannot tell. I'm hard-pressed between the two, having a desire to depart and be with Christ, which is far better. Nevertheless, to remain in the flesh is more needful for you. So you see, there's that great commission fruit again, just like in the book of Romans. If I'm going to die in this prison, it's a promotion for me. But if you pray for me, and it goes kind of the way I think the Lord is causing it to go, I'm going to come out of here and I'm going to come back to you 
and I'm going to bear more fruit. And that's going to be for you. That's more needful for you. I'm going to come back. I'm going to preach. I'm going to teach. You know, God measures out this, measures out that. What did he measure out to Paul? Apostleship, working of miracles, preaching the gospel, people getting saved. I mean, I mean God, God measures out this to this person. This God measured out a lot to the Apostle Paul. And there's no pride in that. Paul said, I'm, all these things are done, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm nothing. Paul is nothing. But he knows, listen, if you pray for me and I come back, what am I going to do? I'm going to bear more fruit among you and it's going to be good for you. More people are going to get saved. More are you going to grow. So listen, pray for me. But that's another example of fruitfulness is great commission fruitfulness. How many of you have a desire for great commission fruitfulness? I know I do. I want to see people get saved. And I want to see people in the church grow and become mature as Christians and be able to like minister in such a way that the Lord would be glorified. I want to see the people in our church become and be and sustain and maintain and remain in this life fruitful. Yes. That's the fruit of the Great Commission. Go into all the world. Preach the gospel to every creature, right? Uh, Go, therefore, make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe whatsoever things I've commanded you. And lo, I'm with you always, even at the end of the age. I want to see those people get saved and get baptized in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. And I want to see the people get taught to observe whatsoever things the Lord Jesus has taught us to do, knowing that he is with us to the end of the age. Right? That's great commission fruit. I want to see that fruitfulness. And the Apostle Paul did too. Hopefully you do too. You want to see people get saved? You want to, you want to be here when people are dipped in the water and share their salvation testimony when they get baptized? Do you want to be around people who are learning the Word of God and the growth in their life is manifest and evident? That's great commission fruit. I want to be around that. And we can. But where does it all come from? The vine. Go to Jesus. Don't buy or accept any lie from the enemy that it's done for you. You can't do this. Well, actually, it's true. You can't do this. We can't do anything in and of ourselves, right? But the truth is, what you can do is go to the Lord Jesus. If you're in Christ... Go to Him all the time and let Him bring forth this fruitfulness which glorifies and honors His own holy name. We have time for the elusive third hymn. Come on, Fanny, let's do the third hymn. Everybody stand up. 297. 297.